Okay, good afternoon. This is Shoshana, also known as RBC Bard. Um, after some sleep, I'm back to continue this series of, uh, I guess, mini talks about horror and holiness. Um, if this is new to you, or if you need a refresher, um, this is, uh, what I'm basically doing is trying to explore Jewish sacred text through the lens of the horror genre. Um, what I do is, is, what I try to do is delve into the nature of the horror um, in various uh, parts of the text, um, the, the nature of the horror in human encounters with God, um, and try to figure out if we could sanctify that horror or that experience, and if so, how. Like I said, this is my first time using audio to get my ideas across, so bear with me if I'm kind of rough at this. Um, I am by no means a sound editor, so um, it, it's, uh, <laughs> I guess it is what it is. Hopefully, you know, you find this interesting and compelling and want to share some of your own ideas. Um, be before we start, though, I want to give a special shout out to the Minnesota Freedom Fund. Um, their mission is to pay criminal bail and um, immigration bond for those who can't afford it and to end discriminatory, coercive, and oppressive jailing. To find out more and to give your support, you can visit their website at minnesotafreedomfund.org. Okay, now back to the business at hand. Like, so let, let's review what we've done so far. We've looked at the plague of darkness um, as a kind of psychological horror, and we've examined the sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abinu, who were consumed by fire, and we um, and we looked at that as a kind of cosmic horror. This time around, we're going to be talking about Ezekiel's vision. Okay, but before we get into that, um, I want to revisit a question that I brought up before, um, the, the one that I'm always asking. Is there a way to sanctify the experience of cosmic horror? Um, and it seems that, um, you know, it, it seems that there might even be a clue about this um, in uh, Bereshit in Genesis. Um, you know the part where Yaakov or Jacob wrestles with the angel or God or even just some dude and in the aftermath of that uh, Jacob gets a new name Israel and in the next day or the next morning he names the place Peniel saying that he I have seen a divine being face to face yet my life has been preserved. Now, as we recall, um, the uh, sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abinu, uh, when they had a direct encounter with the divine, they, they weren't so lucky. So, <laughs> this suggests that, you know, encountering the divine, uh, quote-unquote, naked, or as uh, it says in the Tanakh, panim al panim, face-to-face, is a transformative experience you know if by some luck 
you manage to survive it, it changes you. Um, it changes you, it changes your perception of the world of, of creation. And, you know, of course, uh, speaking Jewishly, like about how we sanctify it, how we make it holy, you know, that experience, holy, even as it terrifies us. Well, what can we do? It seems that we can mark that experience with a name change or a name giving. Um, with Yaakov, you know, he himself has, you know, changed his, you know, has a name change. Well, he himself has a name change. And he also names the place where it happened. Uh, interestingly enough, though, Moses encounters God more directly and frequently than any human being before or since, yet his name never changes. Um, I have no idea what that means. I just thought it was an interesting, just, you know, just an interesting thing to think about. Now, now that we've kind of wrapped that up, let's do, dive into Ezekiel's vision. Um, this is kind of one of my probably one of my favorite passages in the Tanakh. Um, I, I love the fact that it's such a vivid, powerful, perplexing imagery. Um, and, and, um, and I'll get to, I'll share some of it with you. It's a lengthy passage. So the part, I'm going to focus on the parts that are, that, that have some particularly colorful imagery. Um, and let's see, let's get down to it. And it starts off like a bad mushroom trip. <laughs> okay, <laughs> somebody clearly spiked the shrooms or, or did something, or slipped up some LSD and he had a bad acid trip or something. Because listen to this, uh, we're talking about Ezekiel chapter one, verse four through six. I looked and lo, a stormy wind came sweeping out of the north, a huge cloud and flashing fire surrounded by a radiance and in the center of it in the center of the fire a gleam as of amber in the center of it were also the figures of four creatures and this was their appearance they had the figures of human beings however each had four faces and each of them had four wings look so it's already bizarre to begin with and then it gets even weirder with them was something that looked like burning coals of fire. This fire, suggestive of torches, kept moving about among the creatures. The fire had a radiance, and lightning issued from the fire. Dashing to and fro among the creatures was something that looked like flares. As I gazed on the creature, I saw one wheel on the ground next to each of the four-faced creatures. As for the appearance and structure of the wheels, they gleamed like barrel. All four had the same form. The appearance and structure of each was as of two wheels cutting through each other. And that was Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 13 to 18. Okay, and then he says, Their rims, meaning the wheels' rims, were tall and frightening, for the rims of all four were covered over, all over with eyes. Um, what the hell? 
if I saw something like that, I, I need new underwear. I, I, you know, I'm I'm running away screaming in panic at the top of my lungs. Or gawking at it in a drooling catatonic stupor. I, if I saw something like that, I'm freaking out. I would not be calm. You know, someone might have to physically restrain me from gouging my eyes out. It's, there's no way. I, I know I wouldn't be able to handle it. And Ezekiel's not holding himself together much better. <laughs> and if you think about it, like, in the way he's describing it, it just doesn't make sense. You know, there's noise, there's wind, and, you know, this, this comes out of nowhere, and these living creatures with foreheads and wings, and there's wheels within wheels with eyes all over them, and there's flames and lightning, and and that's and it goes further than this. Okay, it it, it there there's much more to it than this, but this is this is just like a piece of what he saw. It's you know like. Uh, when Ezekiel's describing it, it's it's like he's struggling to describe this thing. It, it he has no frame of reference for what it is. The best he can do is sort of draw parallels to things he already knows. So you know, you see fire. Okay, there's fire, torches, uh, shiny stuff like this. Uh, living creatures, I, with wings. Yeah, it, you know, it, it's ineffable. It, it, it surpasses the limits of human language. It, it can't really be described, only experienced. Now, I know the popular interpretation of it, like, is it, could it be UFO or alien spacecraft? Who knows? It Honestly, it really doesn't matter. What matters is that he was terrified when he saw it. But... But why was he terrified? What, 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 why was he afraid? There's no immediate physical danger. So something deeper must be going on with this. And again, bringing it back to the horror lens, it's it's like he's experiencing a kind of surreal horror. And um, a definite and TV tropes describes it. Yes, I know, but bear with me. TV tropes. Um has this description of surreal horror. As much as they might scare some people, at least monsters, serial killers, and primal fears are scary in a comprehensible way. This is where surreal horror comes in. It's not just nightmare inducing, it's nightmarish in a literal way. By being surreal, disjointed, dreamlike, and filled with bizarre imagery, usually saying goodbye to all logic and sanity in the process. Now, Ezekiel, th th this sense of horror, this sense of terror is evoked in him you know, because he's encountering something that, I mean, by all reason, shouldn't be real. Yet it is. Um, and the feelings that evokes, uh, it's, it's not just you know, dread or terror. It's like, um, this, um, is, is what the, in Gothic fiction is called the sublime. Um, there's this article online called The Sublime's Effects in, in Gothic Fiction. It's by, uh, Emily Diebler. And sh what she says is that 
What separates experiencing the sublime from experiencing beauty in the, is the disruption of harmony. According to Edmund Burke, the imagination experiences both thrill and fear through what is dark, uncertain, and confused. In setting the sublime apart from beauty, the sublime creates more than a positive appreciative response to an aesthetic, such as a beautiful painting or a sunlit meadow. The sublime stems from potent awe and terror that stresses someone's limits, surpassing all other responses and overloading the recipient in both their revulsion and fascination. In horror terms, um, it's kind of like, have you ever seen a horror movie and there's a monster in it and that's terrifying and kind of like, yeah, it's so beautiful, you know, like, um, like the beast in Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast, or like there's this creature that's unnatural and grotesque, but you can't look away. Um, like, for instance, those old school werewolf transformation sequences, you know, like in the Howling or American Werewolf of London. Um, or even like, and I just kind of thought of this, or like those movies where they don't even show you the monster because it can't be shown. Uh, it, it defies, um, attempt to like uh, to communicate it or visualize it or, or convey it visually that, that that's the kind of thing I I feel like Ezekiel's experiencing but on a much larger scale and way more intensely and to you know to get back to our basic questions like so how would we sanctify this experience you know Ezekiel pretty much just flings himself down on his face, you know, it, it's, it's, I mean, after all, what else can he do? Um, and we see something kind of similar in, uh, back in uh, Shemot, back in Exodus, when Moses encounters the burning bush. You know, knowing that it's, you know, God, you know, you know, seeing God's presence in the bush, he removes his sandals and hides his face, because again, he's kind of, he's terrified. Um, the recurring motif here seems to be turning away or hiding the face. Um, and the interesting thing is that there are Jewish rituals that incorporate that. Um, for instance, in the prayer for lighting Shabbat candles, um, the, the custom of covering your eyes when you do that. Um, there's also the priestly blessing. Um, the, there's a, a, like a special prayer recited by, by Kohanim and like the custom is to spread for each person where each man I guess to spread his tallit over his head to avoid excuse me to avoid looking at the Kohanim during the blessing just something to consider when making room for that experience anyway um, that wraps up the third text I'm examining. Uh, I'd hope to get to the four sages who enter paradise. I've been really looking forward to it, but um, I want to take my time with that one. Um, it, it's again, it's, it's it's like a favorite story of mine. But um, and Shabbat's right around the corner, so I don't really have much. I don't really have the time to get into it the way I want to. Um, so I'm going to hold off on that until Shabbat is over. And then, you know, I'll, I'll do a deep dive like I, like I
like I just did with this. Um, if you stuck with me so far, thank you so much for listening. I'd love to keep this going. So feel free to reach out and uh, share your own ideas about horror and holiness. Um, you, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is RBC Bard. And I look forward to hearing from you. Shabbat Shalom.